0: All right, and welcome back to the Expert Witness podcast interview series. Our guest today is Marker Platt. Marker is the owner of Markerson Engineering and Marker Forensic and Expert Consulting. He has earned bachelor's and master's degrees in civil and structural engineering with a minor in mathematics. He's passed both a professional engineering exam and a more rigorous national structural engineering exam, as well as the project management Project Management Professional Exam. He's currently licensed in 20 states and pursuing additional licensure in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Over the last decade and a half, he has worked in a variety of industries and designed power line structures, water towers, deep foundations, landscape structures, residential structures, commercial structures, and industrial structures. In addition to his design work, Marker has conducted over 600 forensic investigations ranging from hurricane impact to failed trade show video screen walls. He has also testified at numerous depositions and trials as an expert witness. His motto is excellence through integrity, and he applies the work ethic he learned growing up on a cattle ranch, along with the highest quality writing, mathematical expertise, logical analysis, and application of engineering principles to every project he pursues, whether design, forensic, expert witness, or a combination. When he is not working, Marker loves rock climbing and having adventures with his wife and eight children. Marker, we're glad to have you here and welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, David.
0: First question I always like to ask is, how did you get into expert witness work? You know, it's not something that kids normally talk about wanting to be when they grow up. So how were you introduced to it and how did you start working in this field?
1: so that that is correct for me as a as a kid i had no idea this existed other than uh reading sherlock holmes that was that was about the extent of my um exposure to this field um and by the way my my kids will not be among those um they are they uh are very aware because i share funny stories with them all the time um about uh, this work but uh yeah for me not as a kid In fact, my first exposure to this was when I was an undergrad student at BYU. We would have weekly seminars and one of the, the one I remember the most and the most interesting one was a, um, a forensic engineer. He spoke about some projects that I'd never even considered would be part of what I could do. And I was fascinated by, um, by what he did. And I I thought this, you know, this is something I want to hopefully get an opportunity to do. It didn't turn out that way. Um, for the first five years of my career, I designed power lines. Um, and then I decided I, I wanted to pursue the, the, the national SE exam, as you mentioned, that, that I passed. Um, and, and I found out to, to, in order to pass that, I needed to switch industries. So I, I began designing residential and landscape structures and then commercial structures. And then when I got into commercials, I started doing a lot of retrofits. I started um, taking a lot of existing buildings and trying to make them, you know, and enhance them or, or renovate them. Um, and uh, I also started study. We we did a study of churches that were uh, not had a lot of had a lot of uh, seismic deficiencies in California. Um, in fact, one of them when I was investigating it, luckily it was not on a Sunday, so no one was there. But I I was looking at the attachment of a big chandelier type thing that that proceeded to detach and crash onto the, onto the congregation that wasn't there below, onto the empty pews, I guess. Um, So that was my first experience with failure. Luckily, uh, no one was hurt. While you were inspecting it? (laughs) It fell down while I was inspecting it. Oh man. Uh, And that was, uh, full disclosure, that was probably more due to the inspector than the lack of an adequate connection. I, I may have... Uh, loosened something I shouldn't have. Um, but, uh, so that was my first, yeah, my first experience with uh, with a failure. Um, and soon after that, I got an opportunity to do forensic work full time. i I uh, started work with a forensic firm and I worked for them for three years, did over uh, six hundred forensic investigations. And at the very end of that tenure with that company, I was finally deposed for the first time um and found that i both um you know this was all this was enjoyable to me but also i learned a lot of work that i needed to do to uh you know to be successful as an expert so i i attended the the seek training um they hold seek seek is a is a uh, expert witness firm uh founded and run by attorneys teach us how to you know how to uh, testify, write reports, et cetera. So I, I've attended their training, uh, bought their materials and you know try to keep up on continually training and improving um, as a as an expert and as a report writer. So that's a kind of a long explanation. So for me, you know this series of just opportunities and and interests and uh, and you know uh, lots and lots and lots of studies.
0: Yeah, absolutely so when you were getting into this, were there any barriers or obstacles you had to overcome or did the cases, you know, did the cases come slowly or, or have you been in high demand from, from day one?
1: So, um, the biggest barriers that I have encountered really were, uh, as I, like I said, at the end of my, the forensic company I worked with, uh, my, I, I was beginning to get deposed and and I found that I I felt constrained, um, you know, within within the the company I was in. That was one reason I, I left. the uh, The company I was with was was only doing forensic work. Um, I didn't do design work for three years, and that's you know, in my opinion, I'll get into this later. But that's an essential part of of um, being an engineer, you know, is being able to to create things, um, studying failure all the time. I felt was a was a was handicapping me, um, so I you know I switched firms, and the next firm I was with uh, eventually didn't want me to do forensic work anymore, and um, in fact um, they told me I you know I, I couldn't, so I had to leave that firm, and I just found that there was a lot of complications trying to to merge design work and forensic work, which I felt were both essential to what I wanted to do. And so the biggest constraint, really, for me was, you know, I, to really do what I wanted to do, I had to, I had to just leave and try to find my own firm. Uh, not to say that every every engineer has to do that, but it, you know, for for my particular case, that was the that was the barrier. Since you know, since doing that, um, cases have come in steadily. Um, it's it's pretty random how they come in or when. Um, but they do come in. And so I guess the biggest barrier that for me that was removed was I was able to finally merge these two parts of engineering in a way that I felt was most effective and and worked best for me. So that's why I started my company, uh, Markerson engineering about seven months ago. Um, I felt I could uh, better choose whether a case was suitable, better decide how to um, conduct the case and whether or not, you know, I could do it well, um, and so I, I I founded a company that does both design and forensic work on purpose, and I get a good good deal of both. Uh, I feel like a good design engineer is made better by studying structural failure. Um, say by the same token, a a forensic engineer, you know, um, is made better by staying sharp with continuing to design and create. Uh, you know, in my case, in my field, buildings and other structures. Um, incidentally, so uh, I think you mentioned I have a lot of children in your introduction. Um, four of those are daughters, and they're all, all four of them, except for the baby, is are in uh, either dance or gymnastics, and some of them are in both. And we found that, you know, the, the ones that did both were, were better at both, um, kind of the same same token, you know, the c- certain fields complement each other. And I feel like design engineering and forensic engineering are are definitely in that category.
0: Yeah, I would agree. We found the same thing in our company, that, that doing both tends to build upon itself and make you better in both areas. So very good. All right. So can you tell us what types of cases you commonly work on and know without sharing any confidential information can you give us a couple examples maybe of cases that you've worked on or the types of situations that call for
1: your expertise sure yeah so as a civil and structural um, forensic engineer and expert witness um, the type of cases I study fall into three categories um, with you know with a few exceptions but the you know, the majority of them fall in these categories in, in an order of most common. You know, the first category is um, failures due to natural disasters, or even just not necessarily disasters, but just natural forces. So I've, I've studied failures ver- arising from wind, hail, snow, uh, you know, flood, uh, other sources of moisture intrusion, um, and then the more exotic ones, hurricanes tornadoes, lightning strikes fire and uh, even even a volcano uh, study wildly I got to do do some volcano studies um, those are the vast majority of the type of cases that I that I work on um, second category would be you know failures due to, to us right to man-made man-made disasters uh, there's no shortage of, of those for example construction defect um, there's also design defect, um, some, some specific ones. I studied a case where someone was running a hose off a roof, like all day and all night. Just, I don't know why, but that's what, it, that's what we found was the, there was a, there was a chronic problem of, of running water off the roof. Um, I've seen, I've seen, uh, roofs hit, hit by hammers, um, hit by vehicles. Uh, usually, cars, um, tiles broken by stepping on them. Um, I did one one case involving a garbage truck that hit Fort uh, Cocher at a at a, at a house. Um, this is the, I'll share a little more detail because this one's a really interesting one. So I was a uh, not the first um, engineer that was retained. This um, this homeowner had a. Uh, you know, she had a she was kind of remote so this garbage truck would come by once a week and it happened that one week the arm on the on the back of the truck hadn't been put down. So as it was going through, she was actually watching it. she saw it hit the top of her Portco share. It was a log log house. And so you know this this garbage truck hit her the top of her Portco share and she said that there was a a very loud noise and shaking of her house and um the garbage truck then just continued through and picked up its garbage and and went on its way um so the the garbage truck insurance company hired an engineer who came out and took a look at the at the house the port Cochere. he found that the only damage that he could see was that the log had been scraped off so it, it had actually been split somewhat but you know so a piece of the log that it hit it hit it head on so it basically split like an axe hmm. and it took off a chunk of the log and he had he said that was that was it that was what the damage had been done to, and and they were gonna you know give her a little bit of money to to fix her her log um she wanted a second opinion so company i was working for at the time you know they were contacted by her insurance and i went out and saw the same things and you know, got the same story looked at the at the at the log that had been um you've know, been damaged. And then I I sat down on her porch for a while and I just said, so there's one thing that's not adding up here. The way she describes this garbage truck hitting her porch it, it you know, how how shaking, loud noise, you know, all that all that seems to not be accounted for by a split log. <laughs> I have <laughs> split logs growing up, like you mentioned on a ranch. There's there, there's not a lot of um you know, shaking or anything that, that comes along with that. Mm -hmm. So, um, when I, when I'm stuck, sometimes I, you know, I'll just, just share openly. I, I ask for help. Um, I, I, I believe in, I am a religious man. I believe in that we we can get help for what we need. So in this case, I did. Um, I asked to see what I wasn't seeing and, and, uh, I went out to the end of her portco share and started to look at, uh, how everything was connected and I found I found that a bolt had been pulled both through and up into the into the wood and the bolt was attached to a cable which was um, attached to the top of her her port cochere so I took a step back way back and looked at the house and I saw this looking at it from that perspective the whole thing was leaning what had actually happened was that the force from that, um garbage truck had been transferred all the way down to her foundation and and ripped this bolt through and up into the wood and caused the whole thing to lean um and so you know i i put together my report and sent it sent it in and and uh, not surprisingly the other expert wrote back and said um everything that you just saw was due to the wind <laughs> um and, and um so i Again this time I took out uh, all of my detailed uh, uh, wind sources and calculated how much wind you would need to be able to create that type of failure um, turns out the only way you could generate that much wind is with a nuclear explosion um, <laughs> so I wrote that and sent it back and that was uh last I heard of that until later on this homeowner wrote me years later and said thank you for for your for your report. Um, they finally came around and fixed everything right so um you know that that was a really gratifying for me you know to to say uh, you know if, if we did if we dig a little deeper and we you know ask for help when we need it um and are willing to you know to, to, to do a rigorous study that we can actually really help people and that's the, that's what i love about this field i feel like i get to i get to help people um most of the time when i'm retained it's because someone is in a very hard situation mm-hmm. there's a you know there's usually a I would say for them a disaster that's happened and a big part of mitigating that disaster is getting to the bottom of it finding out what caused it finding out how to fix it um, that's another reason I do design work I, I I I it's important to give them the problem but I I also like giving them the solution so a good part of my projects lead into a retrofit, or, uh, or at least point to them the direction where they need to go to get a retrofit, or a, or a fix for the problem. Um, and then, the, so that was a, you know, second category. The third category is still in the man-made field, but it's more in the soft, so the, you know, kind of the softer um, uh, aspects, I guess, of building and maintaining our environment. Um, project management I mentioned. I, I have a project management certification. I've testified at cases involving cost estimating. Um, um, I've even I've been consulted on cases, although I didn't I didn't end up being retained. But you know, there's there's disasters that come from bad management. Um, there was actually one case. There was a a man who was electrocuted on a power line, um, and it, it was coming down to you know was what were best management practices followed. Um, so as a power line engineer, I was I was very aware of, of management practices because they can mean the difference between life and death and in this case you know they did so there's you know, that, that's another field where not as commonly but I I still I still get a fair number of cases uh, involving uh, you know both management or building code interpretation or you know correctly um, designing things um, so that those are the areas that I that I work in um, so there's a wide variety of situations I guess that the call for you know for my expertise
0: yeah absolutely that's great that's some good stories um so do you find that most of your cases are local or do you do a lot of work nationwide and is that typical i guess for for a civil structural engineer
1: so yeah so a civil forensic engineer um as, as I, I described our, our biggest you know the most the most biggest source for our forensic investigations are Natural disasters, so those you know happen where they happen. With uh, with hurricane studies, it's the Gulf, you know, the Gulf states. I, I'm licensed in most of those states on purpose, so I can be available to do uh, hurricane studies, which I've I've done. Um, in fact, this this one of the Virgin Islands that I'm getting licensed for was was uh, originated from a hurricane, um, two hurricanes, in fact, within a week of each other that uh, wiped out the electrical infrastructure at the uh, on this Island. Um, and so I, yeah, I have a pretty wide geographic base. Um, I'm licensed in 20 States and, um, I've done work in most of those, um, whether forensic or design work. And so I, I keep a, a wide base, but I also do a lot of local work just because there's plenty of it and it's, you know, it's more cost effective for clients and easier You know for for them and me to do something that's close by um but i yeah i have i i do both on purpose and by you know necessity to have enough work i I have a wide geographic area i work in all right very good um
0: so what is it about expert work or forensic work uh, that you really enjoy Uh, why why do you do this type
1: of work So going back to, you know, to, to college days, um, I loved getting into the details of things and studying how things really worked. Um, I felt like, in you know, in college, I got really good on into the theoretical version of things. Felt like I understood things pretty well. But after, you know, starting to get into failure analysis, I realized that the only way to really know something is to... Uh, you know, see, see it actually in action, see how, it, see how it fails and even test it. So I love, you know, getting satisfied with how things really work. And I feel like in forensic and expert witness work, there's a demand, high demand for that. And so, uh, you know, I found it's a great niche for me. I love uh, studying detail. I love providing, shedding light on something that seemed really obscure at the beginning. And being able to do that using the scientific method and, you know, asking for help, like I mentioned before, um, I, I, I find a lot of joy in uncovering truth and, and learning truth. So that's what I love about it.
0: Very good. Uh, so have you ever been reviewing information for a case and diving into the details and find out that you're definitely on the wrong side of the case? And if you have, what did you do?
1: So I've, yes, I have um found that what I was that the conclusions I was coming to would not actually help my client <laughs> um knowing what they were hoping for um, but you know an interesting thing, David, is um, my clients have never been angry with me for giving my opinions they've been disappointed in the results that it didn't wasn't going wasn't how they wanted but they were not disappointed with me i guess um like they didn't shoot the messenger (laughs) right (laughs) i haven't had that experience yet i may i may at some point um but you know so far uh great gratefully uh, you know i've worked with a lot of great clients and people and you know they're really after the truth in fact I try to fill out before I take a client if they're really interested in the truth or if they're interested in someone saying what they want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, as long as the, as long as there's that understanding up front, you know, I have in my agreement very clear language that my findings may not benefit; they they could actually uh, go against your position. And so, um, therefore, you know, I'm I'm upfront, and I had that discussion too with them along the way especially if, if the study is going in a direction, you know, that, that, that may not be the direction they wanted. I, I try to try and be very open and upfront and I haven't had any big issues yet with that approach. And so, yeah, being on the, the wrong side, I guess would, would only mean um, not, not being truthful and honest. So I have never had to be on that wrong side.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we, we find the same thing that a lot is that the attorneys really, just want to know whether or not the facts support their case and you know as an expert it's not your job to win or lose a case but just to present the facts as you see them so that's good i find that most attorneys really appreciate an honest uh, and upfront opinion rather than you know trying to lead them on and make them think they've got a great case so you can build more hours and then you know when you get to deposition or trial you kind of flip-flop and you know and uh, they end up spending a whole bunch of money on something that they're never going to win. So uh, honest, as well. honest, honesty and integrity are always appreciated. I find. All right. So uh, no job is perfect in my mind, at least. Is there anything about the expert witness industry or this type of work that,
1: that bothers you or rubs you the wrong way? Um. So I would say that you know, as as a as a business owner, um, as well as you know, an expert witness, um, probably the most challenging part for me, at least, um, as, especially as a new business owner, has been, um, you know, right up front with a client, being able to you know discuss and negotiate uh, business value. Um, n- not everyone sees the value right away or even after a discussion about what we do you know you and I and others as, as expert witnesses and um you know a, a lot of a lot of times frankly I I may not be able to take a case simply because um it's it makes it doesn't make business sense it may be a it may be a very interesting incredible forensic study which is you know why I do this right and why I love what I do but if it's if it's not something that I can do and 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 you know um, run a business <laughs> with I'm not able to take the case and and so you know there's there's some cases there's some situations out there where there's a homeowner or someone else that's really in need. but you know I, I can't um, give them free uh, uh, work and plus there's there's costs associated with testing, there's costs associated with um, consult subconsulting. You know there's it's in this line of work it's, there's really not a lot of opportunity to do a <laughs> pro bono and um so that you know I found you know as a business owner and, and a expert witness um, I've had to learn a lot about how to how to, to deal with uh, establishing up front you know this is not going to be this 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 could be expensive especially to get to the bottom of it mm-hmm. um and frankly there's a lot of uh there's a lot of forensic engineers, investigators that do stuff for for much more inexpensively. Um, and I find them a lot on the other side when I take cases. And often, in fact, I'll be retained because of, of a poorly written or not adequately researched uh, forensic report. I'm dealing with uh, a couple of those right now where the homeowner's in a position that she's in because um, of some Reports that were not correct. That were not. Were not. Uh, they weren't. It, the, the methodology was wrong. or They were not tested. And so there, there's a little bit of a. I found you know in this industry, is there there are a lot of misconceptions that this should be cheap and that it should not cost much. Um. And uh, you know, I found that not to be the case. To really do it well, sometimes you know it 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 takes a it takes. It takes testing and it takes other expensive things. And so that's been the biggest challenge um, really, you know, is, is being able to, to agree on the, both on the depth of, of study that's needed and also on the cost. Um, That's, I won't take a case unless I can do it well. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been probably the biggest challenge um, is just uh, going up against that.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. We find that there's some experts that do a really good job and put a good report together and some that uh, maybe do it quickly and don't take the right amount of time. And frankly, for me, it's always nice when the expert on the other side does a really good job because it's, it's just so much easier to work with. Um, You know, it's, one of the things that we say in our office is that it's hard to argue with stupid. And <laughs> I hate to say it, but sometimes, you know, arguments that get made are are kind of stupid, um, you know, at least from an engineering perspective. So uh, I always appreciate when people take, take the time and energy to do things right and make a good report. Um, all right, so, uh, you know, after reports, oftentimes we'll be in depositions, and a lot of times those are thought of as serious and well-planned out events where the attorneys have a whole list of questions that they're asking right off the paper, uh, but I've found that that isn't always the case. Uh, and I'm curious, have you had a particularly lighthearted or funny interaction uh, during a deposition or trial or something that you've heard about that you would share?
1: So, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's yeah, funny you mentioned that. Um... There's there's things that I that that, that, would, that would tickle me and I would laugh about at almost every trial or deposition that I've been at. Um, the one the, the first case I did that went to trial, um, me and another expert were retained, um, and he was a, the other expert. It was a construction uh, expert, so he 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 had a wide uh, variety of experience both as a construction worker and as a as an expert and we were both uh deposed and he was deposed first and so before my deposition you know they sent me his transcript so i could kind of fill out what type of questions the attorney was going to ask me so I could, I could maybe be better prepared turns out she asked me completely different questions for the most part but but what i got out of that review um, of his deposition and i tried to imagine him how he how he would say this but um his his responses by the time i was done i was laughing out loud at uh, some of the things he said for examples um on uh, uh, th- this attorney she did ask me and him both the same question she asked what are your credentials as a weather researcher this was a case involving wind and wa- wind uh, damage and water intrusion to a house and so both of us had you know had mention uh, and in in one level of detail or another what the weather conditions were that day um and so she asked him you know what what is your weather research did you go to school as a meteorologist did you go to some type of did you get a degree in weather did you go to you know what how can you call yourself a, a weather expert and he said "This is written in his deposition he's like well i've lived on this rock for 60 years i've been wet <laughs> I've been dry, I've been blown about, I've been cold, I've been hot, and he, he went through it all, and and um, that was his qualification as as a weather researcher, and I thought that was an excellent response <laughs> to that question. <laughs> um, I I think I had a, a different response, uh, I but I he'd already taken the best one, <laughs> but um, that's great. Yeah, I I loved I loved his uh. His response. I wish I could have seen him at trial. They didn't let us. They didn't let us uh, observe the other expert getting cross-examined at trial. But that was, you know, that was one thing I I regretted, was I didn't get to see how he <laughs> responded to the questions at trial. Oh, that's great.
0: All right. So if you were if you were going to give someone who had just been retained on their first case one piece of advice, what advice would you give them?
1: So hopefully this person would ask my advice before they've been retained on their first case. Um, because I would say before even thinking about, uh, you know, testifying as an expert, um, I would say, you know, make sure that you study failure and you study how to study failure. Um, in whatever field that's in, you know, if, it's, if I, I know engineering field the best, um, you know, as an expert where you, we're we're all we're always called to. I'd say most of the time, if not all the time, we're called to study failure. And so, being able to systematically and scientifically study failure and then present your findings in a well-written and well-thought-out report um, is the is the biggest factor in your success. Because um, you know you can learn the skills to testify to. Um, can how to conduct yourself in a deposition or a trial but if if your report's bad that's that's not going to save you <laughs> if your study was not done right if you didn't if you don't know what you're doing um when it comes to studying failure and and uh forensic work that leads to expert work you know then you're then you're, you're going to have a hard time um instead of being a pleasant or a kind of a funny even experience sometimes not to say that you know to back up as a as a testifying expert you know i take my work very seriously i i i you know this isn't a you know this isn't like i'm up there trying to be a clown or anything but i do see the funny side of things but you know to to, to be able to enjoy testifying um at all you know you need to have have done a, done your homework up front and, and been able to do a well-written, well written well um thought out report so i would say you know for being retained on your first case make sure that you are confident in your in your investigative abilities
0: yeah absolutely it's, uh, it always helps to be an expert in the thing that you're giving expert testimony about and to to take the time and effort to have something to base your opinions on so very good i totally agree Um, so what do you find makes you a good or effective expert witness what helps the expert to be persuasive?
1: Um, so the first thing is, you know, I, I, I don't try to be somebody else or, or act, you know, like differently, I guess. I also, you know, take, do trainings, um, i just my attorneys help prepare me for the upcoming deposition or the upcoming trial um I, I do the seek trainings they they give great trainings on how to write a report how to testify at trial and a deposition basically all aspects of what an expert does mm-hmm. um you know the i find taking their counsel and, and doing their role playing is uh is very important um and just to be you know to be persuasive is to be very very confident in your conclusions to have done your homework again going back to doing a good investigation first um, if you're sold on your conclusions and you're solid on them then then the judge or jury will know that the attorneys will know that you don't have to try and manufacture or try and pretend like you know what's going on if you actually do know what's going on um so the more convinced i am of my case of, of the of my uh, opinions and my and, and my findings you know then uh, being persuasive comes naturally um being able to clearly back those up comes naturally
0: yeah very good all right so uh, i find that most experts would like to be involved in more cases uh, what have you found to be the most effective marketing technique And what's the best way to get new cases in your mind?
1: So the the biggest obstacle is, you know, for an attorney and an expert to be, to find each other. Um, There's, you know, there's definitely a need for my field, um, for the areas that I, um, you know, my areas of expertise. Getting your name out there is, is the biggest challenge. I have a, a website. I also have a online listings. I have a seek directory listing. I am listed on, um, expert witness direct, you know, I have my, my CV, my CV and experience up there. Um, that's been helpful in getting occasional cases. Um, recently I found talking with a web, uh, a website and a web, uh, an internet marketing company that uh, Google ads if you can get you know um, a, be the first or second or even the third um, listing when someone searches about your field um, that's a very effective way to you know for attorneys to find you mm-hmm. um, i'm re- recently starting to explore that as a you know as a way to to be to be a, to get in front of attorneys probably the most effective way is to do really well on your cases so that, you know, your the attorney that retained you will tell their friends about you or they'll use you again, you know, or at least you'll get in, in, you know, your name will get out there in the circles that they run in. And, um, you know, I've had that, I've had a number of cases, probably most of them have come from from that just from having done well and having, you know, another attorney contact me based on what his friends uh, told them about their experience.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah it's a it's a small world smaller than most people realize attorneys talk to each other a lot and so doing a good job on one case can really bring in a lot of business uh just from word of mouth so very good so if there are any attorneys listening to this or people that you know want to refer you how can how can people find you how can they get a hold of you
1: um, so my website is, um, if you just type in marker, into your Google or search engine, it'll, it'll hopefully my website will pop up and it has my contact information, phone number, email address, and also, um, the areas of expertise that I've, that I work in, that I've testified in that I'm qualified in. So probably the best way would be to start with my website. You can also search for me on Seek or Expert Witness Direct. Um, those all have my my CV and contact information and um, my email address m uh, m p l a t t at markhorson m a r c o r s e n dot com. I'd encourage them to look at my website and and see if the, what I have, what my experience is, is what they would you know, would need for their particular case.
0: All right. Very good. Well, Marco, this has been fun. Thanks for sharing your thoughts and stories with us. And we look forward to talking with you again in the future.
1: All right. Thank you, David.